from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Catholic with you today, your co-host, Marianela Nunez and Mike Walsh. How are you, Mike, today? I'm good. Uh, for our listeners, uh, I'm, I am back in the vault again. Uh, this is the first time I think we've done a record. I've done a recording in here uh, since February. So even though at the top of every broadcast we have uh, Father Robert Sinatra, is the voice of Talking Catholic, introducing us as being high, the vault high atop the Diocese of Camden. This is the first time I'm actually back in there since February. So this is kind of nice, actually. I, I had it painted in that time, and it's now this big, bright yellow, and uh, I like it. This room is, yes. I painted it yellow because it's supposed to inspire creativity. So hopefully I'll ask very creative questions today. Well, I hope I can have some creative questions being in my white office today. <laughs> now, uh, if so on cue, your, your office phone uh, rings, of course. Of course. So basically, um, today I am in my office because we are keeping our social distance in here in the Diocese of Camden. So we are working, uh, we are behaving. Right, Mike? That's right. Working and behaving. Uh, yes. We, uh, even though we're back for business, you walk between the offices, you put your mask on, you go to the bathroom, you put your mask on, you do anything away from your desk, you put your mask on. We, uh, I have to give credit to the diocese. They were good enough to uh, give us all wipes and um, a clean, a hand cleaner. Hand sanitizers, uh, yeah. Hand sanitizer on our desks the first day back we got here. So uh, it's, I have to say, uh, at this, we're recording this a little early. Uh, we're recording this at the end of June, so um, even though it's coming out in July, uh, I have to give everyone a lot of credit. We've been open for about three weeks now, and all of my colleagues are following the rules and uh, being uh, appropriately socially distant and, um, you know, keeping themselves clean. And actually, I saw one of your coworkers, Marianella, every time she rides the elevator, she wipes down all the buttons on both the inside and the outside. I know of who that is. Place. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, people are definitely uh, taking this uh, seriously, and it makes me very happy to see. So yeah. And we thank the diocese for trying to protect us and, you know, bring us back to work. Yeah. So. Although I, I will admit that uh, while I was doing a lot of work uh, during the during the shutdowns, um, I only got about a week at home uh, and I kind of miss it a little bit. I, I have to figure out I, all of a sudden I know we're going to talk to teachers today and and uh, I'm curious how they've enjoyed their extended summer vacation, though. I'm not sure you would actually call it that, just working from home for an extra three months before summer vacation starts. But, um, yeah, before we, we bring them on board, uh, Marianella, how, how is your summer vacation going or your summer going now that you're back in, in work? Well, it's, it's kind of slow. Like, it's still, like, you know, with the COVID-19-related thing going on, and we know it's not uh, going away still really plan to go away like uh we're trying to stay home and and just do work around our yard and uh that's what we're doing this summer and we don't know if we're going to be able to um go away but at least i'm going to try to go to the beach yeah yeah, yeah. We, we're in the same boat we uh have no plans for vacation this year we i think the only thing we're even kind of kicking around the idea of doing right now is uh is uh, maybe a camping vacation to one of the local state cool. parks or something like that. Yeah, yeah. We, we, but fortunately, both uh, myself, my wife, and my son, we all like to camp, so we might we might do that. But we'll see. Now that the that, campgrounds have been reopened. You know, Mike, that just gave me an idea. You should do a podcast about, uh, you know, what things uh, people can do to enjoy uh, this summer, even on their company 
in circumstances. So that might be one of the things. So you know what? That's that's not a bad idea. You know, last year we had a podcast with uh, the Boy Scouts uh, from their uh, from one of their campgrounds where they have a chapel. They have a Catholic chapel on one of the local South Jersey uh, campgrounds. Uh, maybe we'll have to do that. Uh, something even more expanded. Uh, how to how to uh, how to vacation uh, during Corona times. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that one pops yeah. up. Let's later. think about it. But okay. for today, Mike, uh, we have a very interesting podcast with um, heroes in COVID-19 times. And these are some of our amazing teachers in um, two of our schools in the, uh, the Diocese of Camden, South Jersey Catholic Schools. We have with us today John Clement, who is a teacher of religions of the world at Holy Spirit High School. Welcome, John. Hello, thanks for having me. Sure, uh, and we also have with us Trish. Uh, Trish is uh, from John Paul II, and she is a first grade teacher, uh, and we have her accompanying us today to do this podcast, uh, schools related, to talk about, you know, how their experience was during the COVID-19 time, and how they uh, sort of like learn how to teach in a totally different way and how that went. And uh, we also want to know about them. They have such interesting stories and you need to stay with us to hear about them. <laughs> <laughs> and let's give Trisha her, her due. It's Trish Babnew from uh, John Paul II School. So uh, Mrs. Babnew, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious, you know, we'll start with you. Um, you know, when, when things uh, sort of hit and, early to been March and uh, we weren't sure what was going to happen, but we suddenly realized we had to go to, uh, you know, remote learning, you know, when, like how much turnaround time did you have to doing your normal lesson plans to <laughs> completely new lesson plans? Yes, we left. We always tease because it was Friday the 13th when we left and we never went back after that. <laughs> it was a real, um, everything kind of switched overnight. And I think it was really hard with the younger ones because they feed on interaction amongst one another. And that's why when I chose the platform, we chose Zoom for the younger ones because they need that interaction. I can tell by their faces if they're following along. Um, and one hard part was just the parents. They just came together. Unbelievable. I mean, some of the parents, they're going to college online. They're working from home, have two and three kids at home, and then they're managing to get them on Zoom, get all the assignments done. And it was just amazing how it took a good like two or three weeks just to get a routine and a schedule. Um, Technology was a challenge, not only with myself, but then teaching. I have some of my students are raised by their grandparents. So you have a 70-year-old lady trying to figure out all these new forms. So it's like, God bless them, how they <laughs> managed to come through. I had a great group to work with. I was really lucky. Oh, that's good to hear. It's good to hear that you had some uh, positive feedback and positive responses from people. How about you, John? How was it uh, at the high school level? We, we uh, I think, sort of... Midway through February, there was discussions that this it was a possibility. And my school was actually very proactive in making sure we were all well-versed in Google and that we sort of had a, uh, we were all on the same page as, as what type of virtual learning we'd be doing. We officially closed on the 13th also, but we came in on that following Monday and just sort of as a send off to the faculty, we, we you know, we prayed a little and we said, here's what, here's what our goal is for the first couple of weeks. And we were kind of flying blind when we left in the sense that we weren't sure was this going to be three weeks where we're just going to clean the school? Is it going to be, 
more than that. And so there was a feeling of, well, we're okay for now. Uh, that, that sort of changed quickly when we realized sort of, I think, the enormity of the task of teaching online. Yeah, the, that, that is, you know, I think it's often forgotten now, now that we're, what, three or four months past that um, when this first happened, we, it was all expected to be a short-term fix. We figured it would just be a couple of weeks when we'd be back to school, we'd figure something out. And as it was seen from across the country, uh, no, 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 it was, uh, this suddenly became a very long-term affair, which I have to imagine caused probably a mindset change from, from the very beginning where it was that short-term to the, to the realization that it was going to be the last three months were going to be a matter of remote learning. So I'm curious, Trish, you know, when did you kind of realize that this was going to be have, have to be something more than just a couple of weeks of? Uh, right. We kept praying that we were going back. Yeah. <laughs> we felt the same thing that you're saying. When they first did it, it was kind of exciting. They were, got to sleep in late and all of that. Then after a while, that wore off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we realized that it was going to be. So fun. how do you um, how do you teach? you know, young kids, you know, sort of Zoom. What, tell, take me through okay. like a typical, what a typical Monday through Friday was uh, when, you, when you hit your stride. Yeah, okay. So at four o'clock the previous day, we always had to send all our assignments out. And then I would get up in the morning and I would give a good morning message. And then every day we would have Zoom from 11 to 12. Um, but then also that would switch because I would do small groups of Zoom to check like reading fluencies. And sometimes they just needed a one-on-one. Some of the kids emotionally, it was hard to adjusting to being at home and mm-hmm. you know, the parents were working on the computer and things like that. Um, but that was the typical day. And then emails would just come in throughout till almost 10 at, 10 at night. And that's the difference between, I think the younger ones and the older ones. You can kind of hold them accountable for the little ones. They really need that parental involvement or an adult helping them. Um, so I would say five and after is when all the assigned work would come in, but it was like constant emails, just helping people upload things, figuring out the technology where if the children are having trouble, we could arrange, like I said, the individual zooms and things like that. But I know I'm, I have a, I have a sixth grader and going into seventh grade. And, um, I, I think that was the thing we learned most quickly was that the school day we'd all gotten used to a school day being, you know, eight to two thirty, you know, typical school day. And in reality, the school day became, uh, in our, in our house became nine to 10 o'clock at night. And it wasn't it. So I to sort of muddle my references here. You know, I, I became, began to realize about a month into my working life that work life balance wasn't the thing anymore. I started to refer to it as work life stew where it just really all became interconnected. And I found that was very similar in my son's study habits as well and school habits as well, that while there was you know, the typical nine to four when we were expecting him to study, some things just took longer or the day became sort of got away from us and we couldn't work on things like we would ordinarily do. And so there was work coming in it at night. I get the impression sounding from you that that's kind of what happened as well. You had. Was it that you would have like sort of breaks in the day where not a lot of stuff would happen and sort of everything came in at the end of the day? Yes. And I had some parents are working in the medical profession. So the kids were with babysitters. So they would come home at like nine and 10 and then they would upload everything to me. And you just had to be flexible because I mean, everybody's schedule was so they were kind of just thrown into this, you know, and everybody's trying to make it work the best they can. I wasn't being flexible. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead, John. Actually, I picked up on that also when she said be flexible. I think, the the 
the, the one challenge that I faced immediately was learning flexibility in the sense that there were students who, and Trish mentioned that there were students who were, had babysitters. I think a lot of my students were babysitters, um, or there were families who shared laptops, or there were uh, students who I, I would I would have contact with a student who would say they woke up at four, and I would think, is that a.m. or p.m.? <laughs> and, uh, and and I would try to explore whether that was indicative of you know is this uh, some type of depression? Is it is it something going on in the family dynamic? Is it just that they like to sleep? And so. Uh, I tried to be patient with sort of the the work that was turned in and timing of contact. If I got emails at 11 at night, I I didn't, you know, get angry and, and tried to understand that every out of the hundred students I had or whatever, that there's all types of different dynamics and things going on trying to deal with this new normal. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, what was uh, sort of when you hit your stride, what was it like for you? Like, um, how were you sending out assignments and your expectations? It, it actually took a lot of trial and error and a lot of time before I hit my stride. And the, the, I, what I found worked best for me was um, I used a couple different uh, apps. One was called Screencastify that allowed me to uh, have a document or a PowerPoint on my computer with my face down on the bottom and I would record lessons. Um, it would basically be a lecture. Uh, I would then deliver that, you know, a night before set to release at 8 a.m. when our school day would start. And then through the course of the day, there would be a, an assignment that was a component to it that would follow up or reinforce the lecture. And students would turn it in anytime from you know, 9 a.m. if they started my lesson right away up till, you know, who knows what hour of night. <laughs> uh, and that served as attendance and it served as a, a grade in, in the sense that we're assessing that they actually watched the lecture and they understood it. What I would do would be then go back and review their work the next day and, and either tweak my delivery in the sense that I realized that, wow, they really understood this or I completely missed the mark on this. Uh, the next day I would be available for Zoom for anyone who didn't understand. Um, I found that more in, and you mentioned when we started, Marianne Ellen mentioned that I teach world religion. I also teach a introductory to law class. Uh, so the, um, the, the religion aspect, really they, they kind of grasped it right away, but I would get a lot of Zooms on my law classes that kids didn't understand the concept just because the material is just a little more difficult. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny, you know, you're talking about the apps, um, about a third of the way through my son's class, I realized his teacher was using screencastify and ended up using it as even an assignment, um, to, to send back. Uh, uh, so my son had to do a store, had to do an assignment on, uh, Greek mythology, as a matter of fact, and, uh, as part of his world history class. Um, and part of it was he had to give his own presentation. So, because I was helping him with it. Um, that was the first time I had ever come to use Screencastify and I found it to be brilliant. I was like, what an incredible concept. The, the thing with these were all business. A lot of these were like business apps that we found had really great potential in school. I, Zoom was one of them and Microsoft meetings and there's now a, a number of these sort of uh, ways of communicating in, in groups. But yeah, that Screencastify was outstanding. You know, I'm curious, you know, for the two of you, and we're kind of getting ahead here a little bit, but I, just looking at the future, 
are there things that you found that you could use as part of these, these uh, remote learning opportunities that when schools do come together again, you think you might utilize as part of your in-school work? As far as technology? Well, and, and not just te technology, but like tricks that you, you had to do because we were put in this, this virtual world that you might find beneficial when we go back to in-person cl uh, classrooms. I would say that, and I, I think I alluded to a little bit earlier, the sense that you had to be flexible, that there's so many different dynamics in each household. And I think sometimes I struggle to understand that in person. You have a student there in front of you who is maybe, you know, very cordial with me and respectful of faculty and friendly with their classmates. But sometimes I, I forget that they probably or they could possibly have things going on at home. And if they don't turn homework in, it's, it's not it's not personal to me or that they don't care about their schooling that I guess I sometimes have to try and remember that, you know, it's, it's school's not operating in a vacuum and there's all kinds of influences on students' lives. Um, it, it was, we'll get into this, I'm sure a little more, but teaching seniors was an extra challenge this year, uh, especially as we're hitting, you know, February, March, they're starting to, get all of those rewards of four years of work, award ceremonies and prom and graduation. And they slowly saw that slipping away from them as we went further and further into uh, virtual learning. And um, I could really see the toll it was taking on, on my students just when I would have some type of contact with them. And I learned kind of quickly that, that they don't all have the same support structure at home, whether it's someone to talk to about their frustration or, they're quarantined in their bedroom for 20 hours a day and, and they just, they were struggling. Yeah. That's what, what a great perspective. I hadn't even really considered that, that this is giving you, you would think that that in-person kind of, uh, you know, in-person situation would lend yourself to, to that, that same sort of rapport, but maybe, you know, being able to talk to somebody from their actual home, you were getting a wow, an even greater insight into what they were going through. Yeah, it, it's, it's um, you know, I, you rely so much on social cues in the classroom in the sense that, you know, body language it, it really can show engagement in the lesson and just interactions in the hallway. You kind of get a feel for what type of day they're having. Um, it was real easy those first couple of weeks to kind of lose that whole element. It's just you're delivering material, you're getting work back. You're delivering material, you're getting work back. But there's there's no real sense behind it whether or not they're struggling personally or, yeah. uh, you know, and then eventually students started reaching out and just saying, Mr. Clement, I'm really worried. We're not going to have prom or I can't believe I'm missing my whole baseball season. And I didn't have answers for them. And I didn't have even a, a, a com you know, a comparable situation from my life to say, well, listen, this happened to me and we'll get through it. It was sort of, we were all learning how to deal with this together. And, uh, it's it was it was frustrating to see some students who really I wasn't sure whether they had a support system anywhere other than their friends who who didn't have answers either. Wow, and Trish, that was that was something you alluded to as well. But I'm curious just to get back to my original question because I do want to talk about student interaction a little bit more as well. Um, just to go back to the original question, Trish, related to are there any techniques you picked up as part of virtual learning that you might try to bring back into the yes. class? Yes. My children really like Flipgrid, which is like they create a little video and it's a way to assess them. And I thought that was really good because sometimes it's so hard to test and we were trying to test throughout this system. But that was a way where I could see them individually 
So I thought that was something I like to use too in the classroom. And they really enjoyed it. They liked the videos and all of that. Um, one big challenge was my Spanish speaking population. Like um, John was saying, like you don't know all they're going through. Like the parents trying to work through this system, they were unbelievable. I had older brothers and sisters in high school that were sending all the assignments, like stepping up to the plate. And then we had meetings with our Spanish speaking population, but just unbelievable. Like sometimes you're not aware of that in the classroom because we have so much help in school, but outside of the school when they were at home, it was a big challenge just trying to reach them. I think that was my worry. Am I reaching them enough? And um, then my principal had a meeting with all our Spanish speaking parents. And so there were so many outlets that we had to open up more to make sure we were reaching them. So that was a big challenge. And just to be really aware of that. I think, like I said, in the school, we have a lot of people coming in helping, but at home it was a big challenge for them. So I think I want to be more aware of that as the next year. Do you feel more connected, Trish? As uh, I do. My Spanish population has just, I mean, they were like crying at the end when we left the last day. They are just so warm hearted and I feel a connection like I've never felt before. I know people say you think remote learning, you feel more of a distance, but they just shared their whole lives with me. I said from meeting their dog on Zoom to their brothers and sisters. And <laughs> it's just, I mean, they would send me emails to say that, you know, they got a new hamster. They learned how to ride their bike. Just like a real close connection that I was really surprised because I thought remote learning would be more distant, but I feel like I've come to know, especially the parents and the family, so much better and to realize, I mean, some of them had deaths throughout this process. There was all different things going on and they just shared everything. And just, I think that's where we really felt that sense of community. And our school too had the masses every Friday, virtual masses with Father Vince. And I thought that was just beautiful too. The children wanted that sense of normalcy and things going. Like even every day when I began Zoom, we began with a prayer. Sometimes the children made up the prayer, the Pledge of Allegiance. And it took five or 10 minutes out of the Zoom, but the children really needed that sense of feeling that it was that, that routine. I think that made them feel more relaxed. Yeah. And you know, uh, that's actually a question I was gonna ask both of you, uh, though John is kind of works into your, your area of expertise. Um, I was gonna ask how you, how did you, how were you able to sort of maybe not recreate, but make sure that you were still bringing in that sense of faith because we are, we are a Catholic school. So it wasn't just about reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, we, we did have to reinforce, uh, you know, it's sort of the, the Catholic nature of our schools. Uh, so Trish, were you able to, in addition to, you know, prayer time, were you able to find other ways of introducing the Catholic faith into your, into your studies? Yes. We tried to we try to intertwine it with everything as we're teaching it. Um, and like I said, the mass was a great thing. They all enjoyed going to the mass on Friday. It was every Friday at nine o'clock. They could um, live stream it. Um, and just always, yeah, I think that's the whole thing that Jesus, and that's what I saw throughout all of this. You really saw that sense of community and that feeling of God-centered everything was throughout the whole process. How about you, John? Yeah, my, um, my material, just by the nature of it, um, incorporates faith and uh, towards the end of the year, we were studying Buddhism and we were studying uh, different religions in China. Um, it, it gave us an opportunity to really focus on mindfulness and meditation. So we would, I would try to incorporate, you know, think about your own faith and bring your own, your own thoughts and hopes into the, that lesson. But we would also, I would send them uh, different meditations and just reminders to take time and think about your faith to especially in this time when there's, you know, so much anxiety and frustration that know that you have that there to fall back on. And four years you've been studying your faith and hopefully it's something that your family uh, 
is using to cope with this, but remember it's there for you. Mm -hmm. That's, That's great. There, there's a picture of you, uh, both of you actually, we did a, an article in the Star Herald uh, where, uh, you know, we sort of like interview you, there's uh, by Mary Beth Peabody, and, and there's a picture of Trish holding a, um, I don't know how to call it, Mike, help me out. Uh, it, was, it was a balance, a homemade balance. <laughs> yes, a homemade balance. Uh, so, um, you know, during this time uh, where things are changing, teaching is changing, uh, what would you tell to a young teacher that um, is, like, looking to get into this world? Well, you know, we need to be balanced in our life. And Mike talk about, like, uh, the, the work life too. What would you tell to a teacher that, that loves teaching but it maybe is scared of um, new times and the new teaching styles? I think you got to be open to it because I was nervous. I've been teaching over 20 years and this was all new for me to go totally remote. Um, I just think just to remain open and always have the children's best interest at heart. I think if you're always working for it, like I said, there was lots of times when this, you saw this wasn't working, like John said, and then you would reteach or just always, you know, you have to be open to new things. I'm 50 years old and I figured it out, you know, so I'm like, so I think you just have to be, just be open. And I think in the in primary grades, like first grade, very interactive. And you can even find ways, like we did STEM projects. I would record and we would start the experiment and then we'd come back in a couple of days and we would see the results. So there's all different ways around it because sometimes you think it can't be done, but you'd be amazed at all they did and things they would find around their house to do the little projects we did. And just being flexible in whatever they had we used. And so I just think just being open. And always, if you always have the children's best interest at heart, I think. Great. What about you, John? I completely agree. As long as I think that you are coming from a place of uh, care and love for the students, that you'll find a way to make it work. And um, creativity in assignments, um, I think being uh, – sort of literate with technology uh if you have an open mind to like like mike said just sort of playing around with screencastify or using flipgrid and creating assignments that sort of incorporate that and ask the students to do something that uh, maybe pushes their boundaries a little but sort of tilt still delivers the material um there's ways to do it and uh it can be really fun and it can really sort of capture those students that normally just sit in the class and stare off into space. If, if now they're in charge of their own um, presentation or you're asking them to um, create something that normally you wouldn't think to do, it really, it's, it's an opportunity, I think, to expand the way that we teach. Um, you just have to be able to roll with the punches and understand that you're not going to hit a home run every time with every assignment. But I think the students are patient with you if they know exactly what Trish said, which is you're coming from a place of love and you're doing your best and you truly are doing your best. It works and you find a way to teach and you find a way to sort of get across to those students that you're there for them. What things did you guys uh, do during the time of, uh, you know, where, where we were on quarantine and you were teaching uh, a lot of hours, maybe your day started uh, really early and ended late. Uh, and you still have a life, you still had families to take care of, and what things did you do to sort of like maintain that uh, mental health during that time? I tried to have a routine. Uh, I spent time sort of with 
teaching my children their classwork. So I would, I mean, as Mike sort of suggested, we've also suggested there wasn't a typical eight to three thirty school day. Um, I would do some of my work. I would do some of their work. I always made time to exercise. I tried to make dinner. I mean, nobody was really leaving the house. So I tried to make dinner a time where we all just put our devices aside. Um, even if as, as silly as it sounds, we would talk about our day or what, what, you know, what did you do in school today that was interesting and, um, sort of at least having that daily routine would allow me to decompress a little. And then as Mike said, even though I knew work was still coming in at eight, nine, 10 at night, I would just put my phone and my iPad away and, and not deal with it till the morning. Yeah, I think too, I have three children. I have two in high school and one seventh grade now, now an eighth grader. And I thought it was neat to connect to really what they were learning too. Before you're not always aware of everything. My kids play sports, you come home, it's dinner time, you're running all around. And I got to really see what they were learning. And my, especially my seventh going into eighth grader, he was really wanted to show me. And I thought it was pretty neat to see everything and have good discussions. Um, taking walks was a way that I handled just maybe like after dinner, just say, I'm going to go for a walk for a little bit and just kind of release in that way um, after dinner. And that was kind of, I was the same way, Trish, that I took more walks over the last, <laughs> and continue to do so over the last three or four months than I've ever taken in my adult life. And uh, I found that I loved it because, all right, this is going to sound strange as a bit of a digression, but I, during my commute every day, I would listen to podcasts, lots of them, like many, many podcasts, like we're doing right now. And what I got, I was starting to get frustrated in late March because I realized I had this backlog of, of podcasts that I wasn't listening to. And I was like, oh man, it, and that would be how I would like, it was A, how I get in, because I listen to a lot of news podcasts. So that's how I get informed of the world. Uh, but it's also, I listen to a lot of comedy ones and that's how I'd relax. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't have that anymore. I found it actually physically frustrating. So I found <laughs> that if I went out for a walk, that was my way of sort of, you know, decompressing, getting my stuff again. And I, so now I walk like, like back in the day, a walk for me would be 15 minutes. Now I'm walking three miles all around, like an hour and a half all around my, uh, not quite that long, all around my neighborhood through Rowan University, through places I've never been before. I get on my bike, same thing. My, my goal was whatever I did is I had to leave for an hour and then I would come back. And I, and I always felt so much better after it. Um, but yeah, now, did you find you were walking by yourself or, or if you were exercising? Yeah, but sometimes by, by myself. My kids were still doing work sometimes. So I think it was good too to be like away, give everybody a break from each other right. all day That's long. Anatomy walk. There you go. <laughs> That's like great. The, uh, and, and, you know, John, you kind of mentioned, you know, taking the seniors out of it. We've talked a little bit about the back and forth with the students. Do you get an impression, and this is for both you, John and Trish, uh, do you get an impression that um, did the students, from a student's perspective, were they getting comfortable with the idea of this remote learning, or do you get a sense that they kind of want to come back to the classroom? Absolutely come back to the classroom. And the, the first couple days almost had that sort of snow day feel where they felt like, you know, wow, this is awesome, we're getting away with it. And I would say not, not as long as you think, maybe a week in, some of them are saying, this is awful. I miss my friends. I miss the teachers. I miss the, the routine of a day. Um, and I, I, as I sort of said earlier, I think part of that also was it was starting to become clearer that this was not just the school closing for a cleaning and we're going to reopen. Um, the uncertainty of how long it was going to last was starting to become more and more clear that this could have been 
what it ended up being was the whole school year. So they were all saying, God, I never thought I'd miss school. Even the ones who I was positive that they were going to say, nope, I am cool with this. I play video games all day. I, I eat all day long. It, almost to a student, they, they wanted to be back in the building. Really? Wow. That's wonderful. The, how about you, Trish? I agree 100%. Um, even on my Zoom, it would end after an hour. They would ask to stay on. So I would let them stay on and just socially interact because they oh. missed each other so much. That's and so it was funny because one mom kept teasing me. She's like, this is bad news. This is going to go on <laughs> a half an hour, an hour, and they'll just stay on. <laughs> so then I just told them they could make up their own Zooms and they could talk to each other. <laughs> wow. That's actually really it's, nice. That, that was very kind of you to do that. I really, I, um, I, They really I missed each other. They were such a tight-knit group. Our classroom family, we call them, and they, <laughs> they really miss each other. So now they're finally getting out and having little play dates. They've been sending me some emails saying they're getting to see each other. So they're happy about that. <laughs> Good. Wondering what are your thoughts now that, you know, the year ended and, uh, you know, Catholic schools were able to make it and make it uh, successfully, uh, you know, I, I think. Uh, we, we really didn't have much time to prepare. Nobody did. So I think we did a very good job in terms of what the students were able to accomplish and what the teachers were able to do, um, you know, to, to make sure that the students still were learning and engaging and, and doing a lot of the things to keep a sense of normalcy and, and to keep uh, sort of like developing their learning. So now that the year has ended, how do you feel about next year coming up and like sort of like what are your thoughts like what are you going to miss of remote learning if if it's not going to be done in September like what are what are those things that you'll be like oh I wish I could still do that I would say the deep connection to the families I felt like I got to know the families on a daily basis they would come on my zoom say good morning and they would sing the songs and there's a lot of them and they would so just that interaction the daily interaction with the families on this but I know the students will love being back together. I think that's, but it's going to be a challenge, I admit, because first graders are just, I mean, they would come in and hug each other. So I think there's going to be a lot of challenges, especially with the little ones who are very, you know, touchy and they're just, it's going to be a deep challenge. Yeah. But, I'm sure they'll adjust, right? but I just think, like you said, it's a deep testament to our faith. I mean, the parents at the end, the emails that I got, I mean, I could just cry just how they all came together and, they all made it work. I think it took all of us. They say it takes a village. It took the parents, the teachers, the students, all of us, my principal, all the faculty. I think we shared with each other. That was a big thing. When teachers found a good source or something good to use, we would email each other and just always keeping that sense of community all the way around from parents, teachers, and families. That's great. I would say if, if there's one thing I miss, and we, we mentioned it a little, uh, Trish mentioned it, that she was involved in the day-to-day -day sort of lessons of her, her children. It would be family time. I mean, I was able to work and, you know, I could walk right down the hall and see what my children were doing all day. Uh, I'll miss that. But, but I, other than that, as far as, as delivery of, of material and connections with my students, I can't wait to be back in the building um, to, to sort of just, I guess, dovetail of what you guys said. Um, I agree. The, the sense of family that my school always had before this um, really, I think, created the foundation that we were able to be successful doing this. I also heard from so many seniors and parents that said, you know, um, just being such a tight knit school and caring so much about the students really provided that little extra element that I, the people I know who are part of public schools didn't have. 
and you know they finished their school year they had their lessons but there's that sort of extra a little bit effort that everyone went in making sure your students are okay mentally making sure that um, any type of uh, issues are covered as far as maybe students didn't have internet access or they don't have uh, access to a computer uh, our school sort of went over and above making sure that everyone had access to everything and um, it really it really is a testament to Catholic schools that the way that we sort of just transitioned, pivoted, and we just kept going, and there's that extra level of care there. You know, I, I've actually been hearing that feedback from a couple of uh, sources that said that um, that they're actually some of the schools are finding that a number of public school kids are migrating to Catholic schools for next year, simply because we don't know what next year is going to look like. And I am going to ask you a little bit about that in a few minutes. Um, but that because the Catholic schools really just went out of the way to provide such a level of service to the Catholic students that was not found in a lot of public schools in a lot of towns um, that those parents are now considering sending their kids to a Catholic school because of that, which I think is a great testament to what Catholic schools are able to provide. You know, we've said, we've said from, since I've come to the diocese in the last five years, you know, that's been part of our marketing and everything that we do is that there is something else that occurs at a Catholic school that you're not going to get at a public school. Sometimes for some people, that's just the fact that we, we celebrate our faith. But there's also something more intangible, something more ethereal about what Catholic schools provide. It's, you know, we're not providing this because we have to provide this. We're providing this Catholic school education because we want to provide it. That we want to offer to your children something that they can't get anyplace else. Um, and what that, that thing is may be different for every family, but I guarantee you will get something at a Catholic school that you do not get at public school. Um, Apparently, the joyousness of their teachers, at least these two, uh, would be one of those things. So thank you very much for, for always providing that to, to students. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, we're recording this at the end of June right now. We have no idea what next year is going to look like. Uh, the guidelines have not been announced right now as uh, from, the, um, from the state of New Jersey. And I know that the diocese is, has a blue ribbon group uh, coming together to sort of decide how we might be able to reopen in the fall. Do either of you two have ideas about how you'd like to see Catholic schooling look in, in the fall yet? Or are you waiting sort of to see what, what comes out from uh, around the country? I know it's a big question I just asked. <laughs> big unknown. I've tried, I think even from the beginning of this, I've tried not to, for a while I was addicted to every day looking at the numbers and looking at, and seeing what Dr. Fauci had to say and seeing what other districts were doing. And I became almost obsessed with the fear of the uncertainty. And I, I think I've had to take a step back. And I've tried not to really um, picture what September is going to look like just yet. I, I think I want to wait and see. Uh, I went to Villanova University and last night they released sort of their plan for the fall. And I couldn't help myself. And I <laughs> and I. I delved into it to see and they're doing sort of a hybrid of online and in person that they're canceling intramurals but they're going forward with division one sports and it's interesting to see their their approach because it's one of the first ones that I've really taken the time to look at so I to answer your question Mike I haven't really envisioned anything yet I know that Holy Spirit is uh, doing their best right now to explore many different options depending on what type of parameters the state and the diocese put forward. Uh, so I'm kind of trying to be 
loose with what I guess I'll be able to do in terms of seeing my students in person. I know, I hope there'll be some form of in-building education, but I'm prepared for just about anything. That's good. That's very mentally healthy. That's a mentality. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I always feel bad that I've asked the question now. Take June and July off. We'll worry about it in August. (laughs) But that being said, Trish, since since John gave us his perspective, you have a perspective on what schools might look like? We'd like to be in person, of course, but I think now we're open to everything. And now that we've been exposed to it, I don't feel as like when it first came out, there was a lot of anxiety. And but now I think we've been exposed to it, so maybe there'll be a little bit of both. I mean, you hear all different scenarios. You know, you come in in the morning and remote learning, or for some students might not want to come in because of health issues, so there might have to be a remote option. But I know the principals and Bill Watson, everybody's working hard to figure all this out and make sure the children are safe. I think that's the most important safety of the children. How prepared do you feel, uh, both of you, uh, to do this in, you know, in any way that comes? Like, you know, both of you have said you would be sort of like fine with with any way of teaching that comes up in September, like whatever you have to do to get, uh, you know, to teach children. How prepared do you feel for like remote learning right now that you have been exposed to it? Like what, what are the things that you might be willing to learn during the summer to maybe make yourself better at it? Or do you feel like you're equipped to do it at this point? I, I think, <laughs> go ahead, Trish. No, no, no. I was just going to say, there's always so much to learn. I'm open to learning. There's so many different platforms to use. And I think as educators, that's where it really helps sharing what's working and what's not working. And I think on John's level, some things will work where on the, the primary grades, we use different outlets. So I just think sharing and being open. I think there's much more to learn though. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's. There's two things that I think spring to mind when you when I you asked your question. One is technology. Uh, I, I sort of stumbled on Screencastify, but there's I'm sure other apps in development right now that could make it it's so much more effective. Um, the the one thing I think I'm my concern is is that if it's completely virtual in the fall, I, I think there's an element of students need to have a personal relationship with their teacher in the sense they have to know them a little bit. And it would be, in my eyes, a complete struggle mm-hmm. to teach a, a group of students that I've never really connected with. Uh, we were, in a sense, lucky that this happened at the end of the year because I had relationships with all of my students. They knew who I was. They knew my level of care for their education, for them as people. And so it made it a little bit easier. So I think there's it would be almost too... Um, I don't know, it, it, clinical if it is just we start the year all virtual and we go a whole year of just through videos and Zoom, you kind of lose a little bit of element of connection there. Yeah. I tend to agree that uh, some sort of a hybrid at the very least would uh, probably be most beneficial. But if there's one thing I am absolutely certain of, I am not a genius when it comes to education or uh, germ warfare. So uh, I will definitely uh, defer to the experts when, when that time comes. Unfortunately, in the diocese, we have good experts. In the state of New Jersey, we have good experts. So that's, that's good to know. You know, I, you know, we've been talking to you about, you know, sort of like the last four months a lot, uh, but we are curious about sort of your backgrounds. So as we're sort of wrapping up the podcast, we wanted to ask each of you, you know, how you got into schooling and, uh, or being an educator and, and you know, where, where you came from and why you did it. So, uh, Trisha, let's start with you. What, what made you want to yeah, become a teacher? Ever since I think I was five years old, I wanted to be a teacher. My mom always tells the funny story. I was always teaching. Um, so I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. And then I taught 
um, in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia for 11 years at St. Leo's. They have since closed. And then after I got married, I stayed home with my children. I have three children. So I did stay home for about 10 years. And now I'm kind of back into it and glad to be back. But so now this, I'll be entering my fifth year at John Hall. It's coming That's September. So. How about you, John? Where'd you? I mean, aside from the fact that I'm a St. Joe's grad and you're a Villanova grad, and that's, you know, <laughs> I think you're okay. I'm Villanova too. So, John, right, we're I got another Villanova one out here. <laughs> yes. His he, story is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I graduated Villanova with a history degree and. Hey, I graduated St. Joe's with a history degree and had planned on becoming a teacher and was unsuccessful. <laughs> so, congratulations. <laughs> there, is, there is common ground. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I ended up going to law school in the University of Miami down in Florida, and I practiced law for 15 years. Um, all I bounced around all different types of law because I couldn't find one that actually, at the end of the day, made me happy. Um, I was pretty miserable in my career as an attorney, and I sort of just quit. I just kind of walked away and said, I need something that's more fulfilling, that's more satisfying. Um, it, it didn't really... Uh, hit my radar to teach until um, I, I just as a as just a source of money I decided to substitute teach and I fell in love with the connections that I made with the students uh, this will be my sixth year at Holy Spirit uh, I love I love teaching I love seeing that sort of light bulb click on that they are understanding a concept I love the daily interactions and getting to know the kids and sort of senior year is interesting because it's sort of a mix of that excitement of what's what the future holds and it's the bittersweet sort of end of their friendships as they see it. Um, it it's just, it's a completely satisfying and rewarding career and I, I just love doing it. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. I come from a family of educators and I did teach for one year and I absolutely loved it. And, uh, I do hope to go back to it someday when I'm, you know, when I'm so jaded with PR, I can't possibly put up with it any longer. I'll, uh, I'll go become a teacher, uh, hopefully a history teacher somewhere, or maybe I'll teach PR in college. I don't know, something like that, but that's always been my goal. The, um, so, you know, we sort of opened this podcast with, uh, Marianne, Marianne and I talking a little bit about vacations and, and whatnot. I'm curious now that you finally have, uh, virtual school behind you and remote learning behind you. How are you planning to spend your summer vacations? And I this, think of this as the preview to what you always have to ask, how, to, how I spent my summer vacation. How do you want to spend your summer <laughs> How about you, Chris? My parents have a place in um, Wildwood Crest, so they have a condo. So I hope to make it down there. We still haven't made it down there yet. <laughs> so I hope to get some vacation time in there and relaxation. Everything kind of got thrown up in the air because I was supposed to work a summer job, but now it's not happening. So kind of in search of a summer job in, in the midst of all this. <laughs> oh, a true, a true teacher. I, that summer <laughs> job. Oh man. My father <laughs> painted houses for years until he was a, uh, a year round uh, teacher for, uh, for his school district. But, uh, <laughs> how about you, John? I also had, um, in the summers, I typically do run a, uh, summer camp for younger kids and the city decided that the, the, restrictions were too great and that the exposure was too high so they scrapped the whole camp so I found myself half scrambling to find something and half really enjoying going to the beach every day um, uh, I think it's it's gonna be a mix of that I'm gonna I'm gonna find something that that um, brings in some money I do coach soccer for Holy Spirit so 
was sort of putting together based around the, the restrictions, some type of practices that we can start doing mid July. We're allowed to meet our, our teams. Uh, so I'll do some of that. Um, hang with my kids, go to the beach. That's sort of the, the plan right now. Well, it's hard to complain about an opportunity where you get to spend a little more time with your family though, as you stated earlier, we have been spending a lot of time with our family lately. So, you know, maybe a, a little alone time wouldn't be the worst idea as well. The, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, this is a strange time period we're in where um, it, uh, summer has rolled up and I, I can't tell the difference between summer and, and spring right now, other than that it's a lot more hot and humid outside. Yeah. That's right. John, and, uh, just uh, out of curiosity, and I know we moved uh, from, from the topic, but um, when, when you decided to uh, sort of like leave your uh, career in, in law, uh, did you get a lot of pushback from people? Like, this is, I think, a good message for uh, kids that, you know, went to college for something and maybe they didn't find their vocation. Uh, you were brave enough to say, this is not what I want. This is not what I would like to spend my life on. I need to move on and do something different. Uh, so can you give a message to our listeners to, you know, to move on if, they don't, if they're not happy where they are? Sure. I think that... Um you know, financial limitations or the fact that you have put 20 years with, you know, schooling and experience into a career. Um, at the end of the day, if you're, if, you know, I was miserable, I was, it was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my health. Um, I, I just, I struggled to find any fulfillment and, um, it was, a, it was taking its toll on every aspect of my life. Uh, people did tell me I was, I was, you know, crazy maybe um, to sort of just step aside, but it was, it got to the point that I had to. And there was times when I thought, Oh my gosh, what have I done? But uh, I think the whole time I just had faith that, you know, anything that at the, uh, at the end of the day, we have to sort of answer to ourselves when it comes to our happiness. And um, I just sort of followed my heart and uh, I, I, I'm so thankful that I found my way into this career and I found Voice Spirit in particular. Um, it, it repaired what really could have been a um, really bad path that I was on. That's that great. sounds very familiar, John. I, I did the exact same thing. I was, uh, I was a PR guy for a big center city law firm in Philadelphia and uh, found it completely unrewarding, found it financially rewarding in every way, shape, or form. And there, was, there were many rewards that came with it, but it, it took a great toll on my soul. And uh, when I came here, you know, took the cut in salary, and uh, I've been happy every day. A little less happy during quarantine times, a little more overworked than I'm used to. Kind of actually reminded me back of the, uh, the, the law firm days, as a matter of fact. But, um, but no, it, there is something, you know, it's, I, that's such a great question that you asked, Marianella, because I think people are afraid of making big changes that will be for their mental health, quite frankly, to, to leave a, a high-paying job and a, and a high-pressure job to go look for something that you may find more rewarding. Um, and I tell people, you know, you don't want to, you don't certainly don't want to abandon your families to do it and your family, you, you know, your requirements to your family. But at the same, at the same time, I think there's a wisdom to finding a job that you're going to love. Um, and one that really is a vocation. Um, and certainly being a Catholic school teacher is, is a vocation. Uh, Trisha, I have to imagine even making the move from, from stay at home parent to 
to teach her probably uh, required a, a leap of faith as well, right? Yes, definitely. But I just love it. Like I said, it is a vocation and they, I get more from them probably than they get from me. It's just, I just feel always have felt fulfilled being a teacher. I've never regretted it. <laughs> I, really I, I was going to ask you, Trish. Uh, so like, um, you know, we have the two cases here, like, you know, you have stayed within your vocation. What would you say, uh, you know, to those who, who are in a place where they're happy and they might be looking at uh, sort of like, maybe like, do I stay? Like, do, do I um, do something else? But what is it that has kept you in this role as a teacher and, and you know, sort of like, made you figure out like this is this is my vocation this is where I belong this is where God wants me yeah I think you know like John said your happiness and how you're fulfilled and um, God was always a big thing when I went back into it I went into the public schools and was an aide as I worked my way slowly back in and you just saw there just wasn't that connection I couldn't connect to the kids in a certain way I think your faith is such a part of you that you want to use it and like kids weren't getting along and it was, it's all, it was, it was just such a different atmosphere. And I just felt like the Catholic school, I mean, a lot of people, you know, you don't make as much money, but there's so much more important benefits. So Catholic education, and I saved with all my kids going to Catholic school and just being there, the warm, welcoming feeling. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows, you know, Father Vince, just the people. Yes, he's unbelievable. Great. Like Father Vince, my kids are like, he's like Jesus. That's <laughs> 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 of Jesus. He just lets all the children come to him. It's just like, this, this, this Another same. guy who left. There's the a connection. You got right. it, Mike. I was just going to uh, say that. It's yeah. like, you know, he left uh, his book and he's right. a lawyer uh, to become a priest. So and he found his calling yes. because he has loved beyond belief. <laughs> yeah, his story is great. He's a great example. Well, thank you all very much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate that. Marianelle, thank you very much for setting this up. Um, you know, I, I really wish you nothing but the best, but more importantly, I give you so much thanks for the fact that you were able to turn your your lesson plans around in a very short period of time and, and be that very important, strong teaching influence to, to these kids. And you and all the other teachers in the diocese deserve a lot of thanks for everything that you did for, for the students and what I know was very trying time. So thank you very much and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Right. Thank Enjoy. you, everybody. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again next week.